What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to Roots, Rhythm, and Soul, a podcast where we unearth the stories of Afro-Latin dance and music. I'm your host, Mario B., and you are just listening to Soul Drummer by Rey Barreto. Today's guest artist is Jesenia Celial. She's a dancer, choreographer, scholar, and PhD candidate. We will be discussing Afro-Cuban culture, history, dance and its influences with mambo and salsa. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is. Please help me welcome the lovely Jesenia Celial. Oh. How are you? Yeah, it's such a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm, I'm really honored for the invitation to discuss the topics that we are passionate about. <laughs> yes, yes. There's, there's a lot of uh, conversations we need to have so that way People are informed and also you're just such an amazing performer and dancer. And I, I want more people to know and recognize uh, who you are and learn a little bit about you. So with that being said, um, let's start off with your origins, right? Where where was Jesenia born? Uh, how was her family upbringing? Um, yeah. Uh, how was your family like? Go ahead. Well, I am, I'm, I'm Cuban from Cuba. Uh, I grew up pretty much in, in a pretty much in a in a rural family in Cuba, uh, but uh, you know uh, when I was about six years old, uh, my family, my parents moved moved to Havana, and then it would start my my more ac culturally active life. You know, taking dance classes, theater. I did a little bit of everything growing up. I was very curious and I always said that I was also very privileged because I live like only two blocks away from the main theater that presented the most important companies of dance and, and folklore in Cuba. Um, so I, I grew up going to the theater in Cuba on, on those years was very inexpensive. So it was very easy for me just to cross a couple streets and go to the theater. And I grew up seeing like the whole seasons of Conjunto Folklorico Nacional and Danza Nacional de Cuba. Uh, the Danza Contemporánea, you know, it, it, they, they um, not all the repertoire was about connected to the Afro-Cuban roots, but they actually have the best Afro-Cuban uh, drummers uh, in Havana on that time. Uh, basically the legendary uh, Jesus Perez and the singers was really impressive. So I, I grew up without understanding much about what was going on in the scene, but I was, it, it certainly gave me a, a huge impression no? to, to listen to the, to the drums and the music. And I don't know, it took some time for me actually to understand, you know, like the, the interconnection between the dance, the songs, and, and the mythology. Um, this came like through theater, actually, when I was uh, 16. I was doing a, a theater play that allowed me to take my first Afro-Cuban dance classes. And to be honest, immediately after I finished uh, the, the play, I start going crazy all over the city, looking for uh, Afro-Cuban dance classes. 
and taking any Afro-Cuban uh, dance class that I could afford. Uh, it was not, uh, it was, it was a moment of transition too, because until the 87, I think, in Cuba um, was the, the, the opening to, I don't know, like the practice of, uh, of religions, not only Afro-Cuban, but any type of religion was forbidden for political reasons. So um, I was fortunate to, um, to, I don't know, to become like more independent, you know, being 16, a teenager, you know, I have like the possibilities to move around and to explore uh, the city and the culture and the things that I, I was passionate about. It precisely in the moment that, that things start to change in Cuba, uh, there was around the visit of John Paul II uh, in that the Cuban Communist Party allowed, you know, people to openly practice. And then after that openness, many spaces that uh, previously never talked Afro-Cuban dances, you know, start slowly <laughs> teaching dance, our, our traditional dances to the Cubans. Um, that's so. a very, it's a very, it's a very weird thing because now that people goes to Cuba and we see like the rumba and oriches and all, the, all those types of senses everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's very hard to understand that two decades ago, a little bit more, you know, this was, there was only a few places, you know, in this, in the city or in the island in that you could actually go and see firsthand, uh, those, tra those traditional uh, cultures. That's fascinating. So you started taking classes at the age of 16. Yeah. <laughs> and only two decades ago, you know, there weren't much talk or much dancing about the Afro-Cuban. No. Wow. No. That is like awesome. before that time, you know, in, in, in similar, in the same, in the same places in that I finally, after that time start being able to take, you know, and to learn more about the Afro-Cuban traditions. Uh, for example, I, I, in the Casa La Cultura, there was a, a place, you know, for all the community uh, kids to learn, you know, we were taught like, I don't know, Eastern European dances. I have pictures like seven and eight year old dancing uh, polkas and, you know, <laughs> different type of stuff. <laughs> but they did the only moment that they talked like something Cuban was uh, was for the kids carnival. You know? So this was the moment that you have the chance to the teachers teach uh, something that was Cuban. But before that, no, it was it was very different. So so for me, uh, on that moment was also a moment to to start piercing together, no? It was it was more like a research, no? <laughs> because not everybody. Um, I don't know. I, I think I, I learned from every every prof every uh, teacher taught me something, no? But everybody have like a fragment, you know, that I could. That's what makes you a great dancer. Exactly. Exactly. Do you remember your, who your teachers were? Were they influential in a sense? Um, well, I certainly have a batch of, of teachers that I just cannot remember their names now uh, because I moved and I went, you know, everywhere, literally everywhere to to take classes. And those places, it, the, 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 when 
talking about about teaching dances or spaces that you can learn it's very different it was very different that when you think about uh, about the salsa scene for example for example right now no so for example if i go to your school i go to study with mario no or i go to study with Eddie torres or i go to study with ismael you know right. so but it, but in cuba it was more like the folklore class you know so it was kind of whoever <laughs> you know? so it was not a so personable you know the class but said but i did have uh professor uh, professors from the conjunto folklorico nacional for example uh juan garcia uh, juan garcia is is certainly isn't my role model because he's also a researcher mm. and and so his classes were very rich more rich richer than any other classes i i was taking at the time because he's playing you know well in this in this song this is what is happening or the or this is a transition toward another stage sometimes sometimes he even provide translations for 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 the songs or for for what's going on so it, it was it, it kind of pushed me deeper you know into the understanding that the dances I were I were I was uh, I was learning, you know, what if, what part of a broader context, you know, mythological and cultural and ritual, that that the space of the class, no. Um, so he was somebody that certainly did a difference. And then uh, when I was in conjunto folklorico from Havana University, I also have. Two professors from Conjunto Folklorico Nacional, uh, Domingo Pao and Daisy Mena, and they both were fantastic and you know, hardcore professors, uh, first dancers of the most important uh, folkloric company in the country. So the training there was really, really hard. <laughs> are, they, are they still teaching today? Or yes. wow. Yeah, Domingo. Domingo is uh, is really recognized internationally uh, for his teaching. I think um, I don't know top dancers all over all over the world have studied uh, with Domingo Pau. He also is the father of another of the most uh, known dancers commercially in Europe. Uh, Luanda Pau is her name. She lives in Italy, and and yeah, basically, yeah, he's he has been teacher of teachers, you know, for several generations of of folkloric dancers have been trained under Domingo Pau, and he still is an amazing dancer. Got it. <laughs> I know one uh, one person I, I find very influential in uh, Afro-Cuban was Poopy. Oh sure. Poopy? Oh my God, sure. Poopy was a beast. Um, you know, unfortunately, he's no more. He's no longer with us. But he's definitely somebody I admired watching and, and listening, uh, who was very informative about the history and the culture yes. of Cuban dance and rhythms. That Pupi uh, was a very unique dancer. I think, uh, particularly gifted, uh, really fluent in different styles too. Uh, that is something that is it's not so common to see in folkloric dancers. I don't know. It's like he could mix, you know, things uh, like from ballet, you know, into a, into a rumba Colombia, um, and and he was a terrific performer. He was he still his uh, videos are absolutely electrifying, and 
And to me, he was a very important ambassador of this traditional uh, dance form to, to the New York scene. I think he was certainly somebody, well, Xiomara too, no, but uh, I think um, I think Poopy add an element of spectacularity, you know, to to the dance and to the and to the practice, you know, of the dance that that is very it's very male oriented, you know. It's like the techniques of, of men and and very there is a gendered uh, technique, you know, for the dancers. But this could be like another another conversation, no? <laughs> <laughs> and and. Um... Are there any artists that you performed for, um, or are there any artists that you would like to perform for um, that you find very influential as well? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure well, you performed for many, and you could share I, with me who you performed for. Well, I've been, I have, I have been extremely lucky, you know, so far because, well, my, my, my A1 uh, career moment was uh, to open uh, just at Lincoln Center with uh, in the season of 2014 with Winter Marsalis, uh, Pedrito Martinez, and Roman Diaz. Wow. Uh, this was in uh, Chucho Valdez. Chucho oh. Valdez, the director of Iraquere. Uh, so it's like for me, this is a moment that I call dancing with the gods. You know, because <laughs> It's not dancing with the stars, it's dancing with the gods, you know? And I felt like after that uh, performance of Yamaya, I danced Yamaya in that, that show, uh, I felt like I can retire, you know? I can retire after this, I can retire, you know? Because it's just like, no, I don't need any, any other experience after that. But uh, also I have uh, two important artists that have invited me, you know, for to work with, like one is uh, Teresita Fernandez, that is uh, one of the most important uh, visual artists, Latino visual artists in the United States. And she invited me in 2015 to, to produce, to kind of inhabit one of her, her sculptures. She have a massive sculpture in the in Madison Square Park, not Madison Square Garden. It's Madison Square Park that is in in Broadway and and Twenty Third Street in New York, by the Flight Iron Building, and and she have a a massive sculpture, you know, covering all the spaces that you could walk in the in the park, and then she invite me. She she reached out through through a friend, you know. I have no idea that she have any that she knew me or anything, and she simple like that invited me to to make a show uh, under her sculpture, and and that for me was was a very satisfying experience because especially you know it's an invitation that comes out of nothing of somebody that I've been reading of in New York Times in you know, all the most important art magazines and newspapers for six months before the opening and suddenly she reached out, no? Wow. Um, so yeah, that was that was important. And the other person is Coco Fusco that I did not work precisely like as a folkloric artist or a choreographer, but uh, she did a beautiful piece honoring her mother and Balseros, people coming from 
from Cuba, you know, in, in the sea, in, you know, under very, uh, you know, hard, harsh, harsh condition, people that die, you know, in the, in the journey. Yes. Uh, so it was a piece very Gemaya-like, you know? <laughs> and, and I did some voiceover for her, and for me it was, was, very, was a very important collaboration, you know, as an artist too. Awesome. It should always be meaningful, right? I mean, it should mean something. We shouldn't be performing or teaching just to do it. Exactly. For me, it's about leaving a footprint and how can we be remembered? You know, what's, what's going to be more meaningful? Um, <laughs> yes. do, you, do you currently have any projects going on or, or any projects you want to talk about? Uh, well, I mean, the main project that I have right now is my dissertation. <laughs> awesome. That's a, that's a huge uh, project. <laughs> it's a huge project um you. and i am it's, it's not a project that is precisely about dance but it's a project that i could have never got to without being a dancer and without analyzing dance so it's a kind of a, an explanation, you know, yeah. of, of, of elements that I'm seeing in, in dance, even in contemporary dance. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a bit farther. It's a bit about, about the history of, of how Caribbean culture circulates, you know, move from one place to the other, that sometimes seems irrelevant or invisible especially if you are in a place like New York, but you know, these are part of the, the histories of, of the things that, that we do, or the things that we can consume, you know, through, through a record, through a film, through, you know, all those uh, media formats, no? Yeah, so. yeah, we're archiving everything. So that way, you so, know, it's our roots uh, stays alive. The authenticity continues, which, you know, there's another conversation to have. Yeah. I wanna, <laughs> I want to talk to you about women orishas and um, Cuba and Clave. Oh, okay. Right, pero I want people to to understand a little bit more about what you specialize in in a form of dance, because I mean, there's so many art forms out yes. there. But just so that we have clarity and people listening and hopefully watching, <laughs> um, please share what is your specialty in dance. Well. Uh, since I was 16, I have been totally fascinated by, by the Afro-Cuban culture. Um, so this, this was a, a passion that, that took many years for me of, of learning. And then um, I had the opportunity to, to enter one uh, house temple in Havana and that it's very focused on the literature of, of, of Ifa. Um, so allowed me to understand also kind of the philosophy, the theology of, of, the, of these performative elements, you know, that we can listen or we can see in the dance. So I kind of took even longer time after studying the dance to, da to study about those elements. So yeah, certainly my, I think of myself pretty much as a, as a teacher that's the that's my favorite hat you know to be a dance teacher i love to transmit uh uh the technique all those cultural elements combine not only focus on the movement but but also containing 
more, not, not the broader, not the whole spectrum, because the whole spectrum is kind of too much. It's like kind of doing a PhD, but certainly put the dance in context. This is yeah. something that I like to do as a, as a, as a teacher. And, and through my teaching practice, I, I became a performer. <laughs> my teaching practice actually was the one that, that, that took me to the stage um and and again i have been very lucky you know um you know so amazing artists have been invited me inviting me through the years you know to perform to collaborate uh well you asked me about certain moments certainly i have to talk about 2012 dancing with uh michael fonts in in the new york salsa congress was another of those moments in that i felt like Oh my God, how can I be so lucky? <laughs> how is this possible? Right? And sorry? This is the second gods, the second time you perform with a god. Exactly, exactly. It's it's just unbelievable. So but that but that things have been taking me again and again. It has been very rewarding for me actually to be in the stage. Um, but I I think I am I'm very passionate about about those connections about not only like the dance aspect i think there is plenty of people to teach the movement uh, i think most teachers teach the movement and i've been finding through the years many uh, dancers that are very good dancers that are very well trained but they don't understand anything of what they are doing they don't even sometimes understand the connection to the music they are dancing uh, so for me, uh, when I see those cases, it's not, I don't, I just, I just take it as a, as a, as a case study, no, but it's like, if you are off those elements, so what are you doing? <laughs> right. I, you know, again, I am not, um, I don't specialize in Afro-Cuban. I understand it. I love it. I respect it, which is why I don't. I don't infuse it in my dancing because I don't mm -hmm. want to disrespect the arts behind it or any of the gods, right? <laughs> uh, but I think there is a huge disconnect in the world of mambo or salsa at the yes. congresses. Uh, and, and, and I've seen it in a little bit of bachata too, believe it or not. I've seen mm -hmm. some in bachata, you know, choreographies and routines where I think they're adding these Afro-Cuban elements and orishas uh, just because they're cool, not yeah. because they have any form of significance in their yeah. choreography from a dance perspective or mm -hmm. culture, or the song itself is asking for it. Yeah. They're just adding it because it's cool. Yeah. You know? So um, since we're, we're talking about Orishas, um, if you can just help um, just clear the air and, and explain what are Orishas, because I think also, aside from using it um, or just misusing it um, in, in choreographies, yeah. there's also this this uh, misunderstanding um, that, you know, Afro-Cuban music instruments, culture, or the Orishas yeah. is negative, like brujeria yeah. or, or, or uh, witchcraft. And it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's not at all, you know. And uh, I would like for you, if you can, just and yeah, to help share <laughs> and explain this misinformation that's out there? Well, this is, uh, I love this question because it, it goes right to the core of, of, of many issues, you know, underlying. 
I think this is probably one of the elements that make many teachers to teach without explaining, right? Like the fear to, to you know, to enter into a song that is conflictive, you know, religiously or whatever. But um, I, part of my, uh, my journey uh, has been also, uh, I was like a, a year in Greece, um, and, and I study a lot about the, the ancient Greek culture. It, I always been using like the metaphor of the Greek gods and goddesses when I teach the, the Orishas, because uh, certainly we are talking here about a pantheon, the Oricha pantheon, no? or like the, the Yoruba pantheon, that includes all those deities that we call orichas. Other people call it, you know, in other traditions, they are gods. We call the orichas. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the notion of oricha is, is, uh, is very specific in the culture too, because I think uh, like looking back to the Greeks, no, the orichas will be like the heroes, no? The heroes have maybe like a part that is divine and another part that is human, no? They are not fully gods, right? And this is the place of the Orishas. Orishas are inside this tradition are seen like uh, the messengers of the gods. Uh, they are the ones, they are humans that have as a special connection or, or a special capacity to connect with the divine, no? And uh, generally, and I talk about this because, because many of them were historical figures that existed in real life. Uh, and, but also the concept of history in the Yoruba culture is a bit different than the Western culture. No, I, I think they think of, of, of history more in a circular way or in a, or in a kind of a spiral, no? Right. Like, well, if Chang Chango existed like five centuries ago, but somebody that expressed the characteristics or the functions of Chang'o today is also Chang'o, no? So it's not only that archetype in the past, but it's an, an archetype that is always in the present as well, like right. a bridge connecting the past to the present. Right. But I, I have to say, like, these notions are very, are, are kind of um, the frame of every single indigenous culture around the world you know, they kind of develop this frame of the divine first, no? When you look at the Celtics, you look at the Greeks, you could look at the Romans, you look at the, at the Germans, you look at India, you look everywhere, you find a pantheon, no? A pantheon that represents uh, the, the natural forces. No, or the elements that are relevant to, the, to, to that society to survive, to reproduce, right? And then there is a divinity that is related to all those aspects in, in the society and in human life. So, but, and, and we have to think like Abrahamic religions like, um, like Islam and, and Judaism and Christianism are, re are really recent in human history. This was kind of a new uh, uh, religious technology no? that, that ended up expanding. And, and to be honest, I don't know, it's not that I want to go to, to leave our, our party conversation, but 
but it was imposed through a lot of suffering, you know, around the world. No, you now, precise crushing, crushing those indigenous cultures right here in the United States and all over Latin America. And, 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 and I think uh, precisely what is so important and so powerful about the Orisha tradition today is that it's one of those uh, practices that is alive. Yeah, and <laughs> that thriving. Has life. And thriving, yes. <laughs> that, that has survived. And, 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 and when I look at that practice, I look, I, I look at it as, as, a, as, a, as an archive of all those indigenous practices that were, that were destroyed around the world because all of them were very similar. No, yeah. uh, and and even the the, the practice, the uh, the forms of adoration, or, or to all those deities, were very similar. You know, this is like we have a very sanitized version of what was the the Greek and the Latin culture. We don't see generally in the in the films, you know, pe these people sacrificing and all those, but they did. They used to do it yeah. too. The major sacrifices, major human sacrifices. No, no, no. I am I'm not preaching because my purpose when I when as a teacher, when I when I am in a in a classroom, I am respectful. I cannot be a teacher without respecting my Absolutely. students' beliefs. Right. Amen. But 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 just here i have almost to give you a a a, a, a class a, a, a universal a world history class you know for you to understand that there is a, a great value on approaching this no because this is the history of the world you know no, no, that it, cannot speak for itself anymore <laughs> that is the the major piece of the puzzle that's missing from a lot of these dancers it's like you know, it's like Western civilization and just talking about how, you know, the Romans um, killed many of their own people because they didn't want their people practicing Christianity. And yes. many Romans died because of that until they embraced the, you know, Christian faith. Exactly. Um, so, you know, me as well as, as a salsa mambo dancer, you know, I tried to instill education and history and the origins and culture. And every time I, I'll teach, you know, como unache machete, you know, some mm -hmm. of Afro move or something, I always like to stop for a moment and reflect to help the students understand, look, this is where <laughs> it came from. People died to give us this. Exactly. It's not a game. It's not a joke. Respect exactly. it. I'm teaching it, but use it respectfully. And, and um, you know, that's that's what I see on stage. I see, I see great movements, but just disrespected movements. So, but I just want to add uh, another idea. I, try, I would try to, to summarize that, like what was at the, at the base of, of all those indigenous practices was like the notion that the nation is divine and that everything that is sur surround us is divine. So for example, what is the difference in between that and, and, the, and, and an ecological thinking, no? Correct. To, to respect the nature. So if you have respect for the nature, why not to learn the dance of the river, like the song of the dance, the dance of Ochun and the and a song for Ochun, and then you have a, so a way of communicating with, with those forces as well, no? Because it's like the idea that 
everything that we do inside those African cultures that are part of the African traditions today are forms of communion, yes. forms of connection, forms of conversation, forms of harmonization. That's the purpose, no? Uh, and, and, and we tend to forget that, that, that dances and absolutely everything that a human being does has a purpose. <laughs> you know? So we should, I think, I think part of the, the legacy and the value of these dances is also to remind us of, of the value of, the purpose of, you know, why do we dance? Why do we sing? Why do we do what we do? We do this to communicate, to commune, to connect with others, to connect with the natural forces, to connect with the music. So it's not the dance, but the dance itself. Mera, you're going to make me start crying any minute now. I'm, ah. <laughs> I'm get emotional because these are the things that I talk about all the time. And, and I'm still, you know, I tell everybody, I'm always, no matter how much time I've invested in the world of dance, I'm always a student first and foremost. And it's always about educating the mind, um, understanding why we're doing it, why we're teaching it, um, and also respecting those who gave us the opportunity to do what we do today. Um, and, and this is beautiful. I'm just happy we're having this conversation and, and, and especially from a scholar, dancer, <laughs> choreographer, entertainer, model, everything. You know, I think it's, it's very important that people understand. No, but Mario, the one, one thing, this, all, all that I'm saying moves you so deeply because, because another thing that most people don't want to talk about and, and that I am very happy to put on the table is the fact that salsa is a black dance. Yes, it is. So, Talk about it. Yeah. So, <laughs> there's, there's nothing white about salsa. No matter how many black white people and Asian people dance the salsa, you know, yes. these are black dance. And all those elements that I'm talking about, the African cultures are present here. Correct. You know, so. Mother it, Africa. Is, is, is a sad thing that not that many teachers have the fluency or the interest or the curiosity, you know, to explore all those other elements too. I know this is a time probably for many people that uh, it's, not, it's not very rewarding, you know, financially, mm -hmm. but it's important because I think there is a change of perspective and it is a change of, of appreciation, you know, of, of the art that comes after understanding and, and piercing all those elements together. You know? Absolutely. And yeah, yeah. It was born in New York. It was born out of the Latino. But who creates it? Who creates this? <laughs> you know? Tell me who creates anything in, in, in the Americas that is not a black well, culturally talk speaking. Let's remind people who built the White House, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? La Casa Blanca. Let's talk about that, right? But el color de la salsa, no es blanco, you know? Um, but I'm really happy and, and I, I'm so grateful, uh, Jesenia, for this conversation. <laughs> I really am because, you know, we, we want to we wanna get a little deeper and go, you know, we want to cut through the skin, not stay on top of the skin, but get a little deeper into layers because we need to speak honestly we need to speak openly and we need to speak off you know authentically about the origins this is this is all african this is all you know black 
uh, and I'm I'm far from it, but you know I'm Cuban and Puerto Rican. You know, I, exactly. My, and and you know it's it's insulting when I go out dancing. People look at me and they say, "Man, for a white boy, you're off the hook." You know, like, <laughs> um, but let's let's help people now. Let's let's go in order, right? So we can help people because I get these questions all the time. What is an orisha? Let's start off with that. Well, I I say um, that orichas are. Um, are representations of nature, of the of the natural elements, uh, in in principle, and then you know there are elements of of the society that also are connected, you know, replicated. Uh, when we talk about the orichas, for example, uh, we have uh, we have a deity, an oricha of of uh, the ocean, we have one for the river, we have one for the mountain, then we have one for the swamps, we have one oricha that has to do with vegetation, we have uh, one oricha of hunting, one oricha of the wind, one oricha of, of the crossroads, uh, and, and an, an oricha that is a, the, the warrior, no? an oricha of music, an oricha of wisdom, an orisha of illness, mm. no? Uh, so yeah, is is are, and that's why I say yeah, natural elements because this is some elements, some aspects that we can visualize more easily. But they are like other aspects, you know, that are connected to human life, you know, and right. what do we need to survive uh, and to reproduce, you know, as, as human beings that are part of the uh, orisha tradition. Uh, we have to say that here in the Americas, the the there are like several um, niches, you know, of practice Orisha tradition. Uh, one very important, I think, the 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 one that informed pretty much uh, this part of the world, of in, in the in the United States, is pretty much in, in Puerto Rico, is Cuba, uh, Latin America, Venezuela. You know, it's like more of that tradition evolved or came out of Cuba. Uh, but then certainly we have like two other spaces in that that worship orichas very strongly that is brazil and also uh, haiti even they define it like voodoo's uh, but they are part of the tradition they are presented as forces as natural forces in the haitian tradition and they are like other places in the in the caribbean islands that are Oricha presence, like in Trinidad, for example, they have like their own orichas. But orichas, even we think sometimes as a as a as a minor practice, there is about a, a hundred million people around the world that is connected to the orisha tradition. So wow. it's it's a major religion uh, right now. Again, over a hundred million people still practicing the religion. Exactly. Wow. And um, among those uh, practitioners, we have celebrities like right here in the United States uh -huh. that openly practice like Beyonce, JC, and you know, you see that there is a movement, yeah. you know, to make it part like right, right now in several soap operas, uh, Lovecraft Country or I don't know, ¿cómo se llama? Queen Sugar, um, that is another series. In that, you know, there is like these uh, moments of connection with the ancestors. Like right now, uh, 
this is pretty much produced and written by African-American uh, artists and writers, writers, but you see the Orisha tradition as a constant presence now in the African-American culture as well. And uh, so I think uh, in the upcoming years, we will see way more openly. I, I've been talking to people, people don't want to believe me when I say like, hey, uh, the Grammy performance of, of Beyonce, uh, she did wonder that she was pregnant. Everything was very yellow, very gold. You know, this, this is like she's so true. And people are like, no, no, no. It's like, yes, she is so true. And lemonade, the moment that she has like her, her uh, you know, like lemon, lemon yellow uh dress and right? go in the street. I was like, that's a true. This is it for me. This is like people, what are you? Are you not seeing the, what I'm seeing? <laughs> Wait, so let's let's go into the second part of that question, right? Help help our listeners, Desenia, understand the transition of gods with Orishas, the gods. Como you just explained, um, you know, Oshun or Owatala, Shango, Yamaya. Um, can you help the listeners understand what what do these mean? Are they gods? Are they not gods? Yes. They... Uh, well, for example, well, orichas are orichas. This is like all of them have uh, are powerful representations inside uh, the tradition. Uh, but the uh, I think what I I wanted to share is like the notion the in the theology of Yoruba people, everything that exists in the world is divine. No, mm. eh, eh, everything is part of the body of God. No? So, eh, at some point, we can see like or the orichas, like and, and the complexity of orichas, like representing one natural element, but also having a color, but also having a, a, a certain gestures, but having certain musical patterns, you know, and certain dance patterns, you know, like all those elements, you know, that are connected to the meaning of Oricha uh, are kind of a part of the divide of the universe, no? Right. So, um, so there is food and, and colors and, you know, certain plants that belong and represent. So there are many ways in that you can talk about one oricha, you know, just using a chair of certain color, you know, like uh, December uh, 4, for example, there is a bunch of people that dress in red and they, because they are honored in Chang'o, that's the day of Chang'o, the, the goddess of, of, of iron. But let's go back to the, to the, to the, uh, to the more known uh, pantheon, like, um, for example, in the Greek pantheon, we have, we have Venus. And the Yoruba Pantheon, we have Oshun. That uh, represents certainly like the aspect of, of beauty and, and desire and, and attraction, no? But uh, she also has other attributes, no? She's also like, uh, she has a color that is yellow. She's the origin of the rivers and all the sweet waters. She is the protector of children until they are seven. Uh, so I think of Ochun pretty much as a provider of life. No, she take care of us when we are babies. She give us prosperity. She's connected to to uh, to material, to to money. No, uh, everything that is yellow, like gold, 
or copper, you know, that all were used as coins, you know, in, in ancient times. All that is related to Ocho. Um, so Gemaya is another important Oricha in the African diaspora because she is the ocean in our life over here in the Americas. It started with that big crossing, no, uh, mm -hmm. of, of the ocean. And, but she uh, is not only like the material expression, like the ocean itself, she also represents life and, and motherhood, but motherhood most as, more as, as a, or, or, or life in a very universal way is, is the understanding that life comes out of water, the life that the ocean is the, the mother of all, uh, you know, all, life elements, you know, all animals and everything, you know, came out of the water, came out of the ocean. So I think that this is the understanding. So it's a, it's a, it's a maternity, but it's not a maternity like Ochun maternity. So it's a, it's a different way, it's a different relationship to, to us and to life. Um, uh, among the, the Maya would be like, like Poseidon, no? Mm -hmm. So the Greeks have, have also, uh, a, a, a deity of the ocean. Yeah. Um, uh, so Zeus could be, it's like Chang'o. They have a lot of elements in common. They even have like the, the lightning, you know, as an element that was always in the hand of Zeus. This is one of the representations of Chang'o too. Uh, one of the elements that belong to him, like when he's angry, he threw lightnings to the, to the earth. And Bachango in the Yoruba Pantheon is also the origin of music. Right. He, uh, there is a beautiful legend in that he was the, actually the creator of the, the main oracle of wisdom. Mm. Create the oracle of Ifine that we can find, you know, solutions to our problems. We can understand human destiny, all that. And actually, Orula or Ifa, Orula was the origin of dance and music. Mm. But Chango, very smart, decided to change wisdom for the gift of happiness, dancing and music. So, but but it's it's impressive because we always think of, at least in Cuba, people think of Chango just as the as the guy that is a womanizer, you know, sexy, the good dancer or Dancers or musicians generally are kind of, uh, you know, the the Chango union. <laughs> we can think in terms of that, but uh, but also he has a very interesting relationship to wisdom too, because he was the one that created that artifact that still today we use uh, for divination inside the culture. So. So most uh, Chang'o sons, if they are like real, they are also very smart people. They are not just happy people. They are they are, they have depth. They they, are, they have curiosity. They uh, tend to be fluent in different things. Not only the dance or the music, but they also have like other other forms. You know that they they dominate fluent in languages, etc. I don't know. So we have uh, we have yeah we have a, a, a deity for absolutely every single element. Uh, we have Mercury, it's like Elewa. Mm. Uh, for us, Elewa in the Yoruba culture is called the policeman of the universe, the one that open and close the roads of human destiny. 
um, Hephaestus is, uh, is Ogun, that is the Oricha that has to do with the technology that give us all the elements, all the tools that we need. It's like right now we are having this conversation uh, mediated by technology. We are talking through the computer, we are recording the conversation you know, with, with cameras and sound. So all that is the, is the, is the, the labor of Ogun. Mm. <laughs> he's the language because he's the one that, that creates, he's the, tech, the, the technological mind, the one that advanced, you know, uh, the techniques in the Yoruba culture. So, Got it. Daniel, thank you. Um, and, and also, is there, is there a relationship between um, the current saints that we have, como San Asaro, Santa Bárbara, mm -hmm. with the Orishas, or there's no connection there? Well, I would say like uh, when these African slaves came to, to Cuba, uh, they were forbidden to practice their religions openly, but they were allowed to get together by their ethnic groups, no? Mm -hmm. And that is something very strange when you think or, or see this through the lens of the African-American history because here uh, people were not allowed to preserve absolutely anything, you know, from their African past. But I have to say that the, the histories of uh, African-American uh, people and African people are very different. This is a two, two completely different uh, histories of slavery now. So what happened is like when these uh, uh, groups of slaves, you know, gather, they were, uh, they were um, nominated under a Catholic saint. And because they have like com um, commonalities, you know, from the different places they come in from Africa, you know, they were like, like ethnic groups, you know, like the Yoruba, we, have, we know that we came from the Yoruba land because we have Cabildos as the name of those organizations uh, uh, that were Yoruba, you know? So everybody speak Yoruba, everybody have similar practices. So those organizations were the ones that, uh, that preserve the Afro-Cuban, the African traditions in Cuba. But they have like this cover of, uh, of Christian, of Catholic, Catholicism, no? So in that way, and, but, but one aspect, it is like, I have, I have a very, complicated relationship with um uh um with syncretism ah, okay. this is the name of that commonality between the yoruba as uh, orichas and the catholic saints <clears throat> it's called syncretism because i think this has this this has been deeply misunderstood through the time and uh, for many people, like even today in Cuba or here, people say, yeah, Ochun es la caridad del cobre. Mm. No. <laughs> Ochun is not la caridad del cobre. Got it. Uh, uh, but, but the people that uh, uh, practice or adorate Ochun, you know, so in caridad del cobre, a symbol and resemble, you know, to Oshun. Mm. So they have no problem going to that church, you know, and 
to pray Padre Nuestro or whatever, you know, <laughs> because in their minds they were adoring Ocho, you know, they had nothing to do with La Caridad. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but certainly, you know, with time and many people, the, the thing is like, uh, Cuba is not, it's not a, a very religious place. Seriously. No, it's like when I have gone to Puerto Rico, I realized that, oh my God, people is here way more Catholic than Cuba, Cuban were, no? Um, so, so there is, uh, the, 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 the African traditions are very deep in Cuba, but there is not that many people that practice deeply that either, you know? So I, I would say like the majority of Cubans, they practice something in the, in between, no? They have the image of San Lazaro and they put some flowers uh, December 27, but they are not, neither Catholics, neither Yoruba practitioners. You know, so, but they believe, you know, they believe, they go to the church of San Lazaro, they make a promesa, they, you know, but it's not about, so but when you talk to people that really knows the religion, they would, they will always would tell you the Catholic connection was, was external. It never changed absolutely anything inside the practice. So, uh, because I learned in that context, I always like to bring this wisdom. And also because the Yoruba people and, and West African people, they were empires, you know? We don't like to think about it in those terms, but yes, Africa have a history and, and Yoruba land was an empire, you know, that's, that you know, occupy a lot of other countries in Africa and other ethnic groups in Africa. And uh, the, the the imperial mindset, you know, is different. Uh, the Yoruba Yoruba were, were merchants, you know. So for me, it's like, what do you what do you believe in? Do you believe in Allah? Okay, give me that. I I believe in Allah too. Can we do business now? <laughs> you know. So it's a very cosmopolitan mind, you know. But that doesn't mean that you change him. Right, you do not right. change him. It's like he's just like okay. Allah, Let's make business. You know, it's a different thing. Wow, man! Let me tell you, I am so happy. You know, I, I'm so excited because <laughs> you know, I wish we had 12 hours to do this. But <laughs> you know, this is so informative. It's so helpful. Uh, I'm I'm learning. I mean, school's in session for me. I, I don't know about the listeners, but for me, um, it's very helpful, especially for me growing up in a Cuban household. Um, I didn't understand most of the stuff when I was younger. Um, and then we, we grew up with this, you know, again, you know, it's negative, it's brujeria, don't talk about it, you know, it, it's bad or whatever. Um, and it's nice to hear that it's, it's, it's not bad, it, it's, it's positive, you know, it's, it's good energy. Um, and and I'm, I'm really happening that, I'm really happy that someone like yourself, um, who is well-trained and well-educated uh, and who's lived and, and raised in Cuba, can actually explain and share uh, the information um, from a correct place, not someone <laughs> read about it or heard about it. Um, so with that being said, um, if you see, all right, so do you think that the choreographers in the world of salsa or mambo, they should continue adding Afro-Cuban um, dances and routines into their choreography? 
or should they be segregated and just say, you know what, if you're going to do Afro-Cuban, leave it Afro-Cuban, and if you're going to do mambo or salsa, leave it at that? To be honest, I think I think at this point it's it's too late. <laughs> I think it's too late. Uh, I I mentioned that I dance uh, with Michael Michael Fons, uh, that I think is a very important ambassador of Afro-Cuban culture to the well. Yeah, he's amazing. To the well of salsa, uh, to the well of salsa. He's kind of the missing link, uh, and. And I think when I dealt with Michael in 2012, uh, I, at least for three years, he was already a star, you know, in in the salsa world, traveling different places, uh, you know, teaching, you know, year round. Uh, and because there is only one microphones, there was a, 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 a you know a, a group of other, you know, new. Uh, teachers that were making inroads into the salsa world. So we're talking about a, a solid decade, you know, in that Afro-Cuban dance has been um, enriching the choreograph, um, enriching the repertoire. That's the way I like to think about it. enriching the repertoire of salsa, energizing the repertoire of salsa. In my opinion, I think this is kind of passing I don't know how you see it. I think it's passing. I think they are, they are like another revolution going on in salsa right now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it, it was an intense decade, no? Uh, with with the presence of, of Afro-Cuban. I don't think either it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna die. You know, these don't have an expiration date. No, no, no. But uh, but well. To answer your question, I am not chauvinistic about the Afro-Cuban tradition or about the Cuban traditions. I, I am. If I was chauvinistic, I would never be a teacher uh, here, you know, in the U.S. In uh, in loving and showing love of of sharing, you know, what what I know. Um, so yeah, I think it's impossible to to separate. We are in a, in a globalized world, you know. If it's, if you don't have a professional, you go to the video, and you want to add it anyway. But yeah. what I think is uh, it's important to know the context. No, absolutely, uh, I agree with you a hundred percent. So if you had to share an insight, and if someone out there is listening, is a choreographer, dancer, performer, and they want to add. Afro-Cuban rhythms uh, and 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 dance uh, pieces into the choreography. What advice would you give them? <laughs> do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think again the only thing that for me is important is know the context. You know of what you're doing because because this is not only a movement you know this is not only about the aesthetic or the plasticity of how it looks of or the extension this is a gesture that is represents something else you know so if you're going to bring it into your choreography know what you're talking about you know, at least it, it doesn't matter if 97% uh, of the movements that you're doing 
have no context. But if you want to use this one, getting informed, no, or consult or ask uh, to somebody, and um, and I don't know. I, I think to be honest, it's a trend that is very hard to stop. I had seen sometimes even very well informed dancers that. Uh, the pressures of the industry and the pressures of survival are way bigger, you know, that, that to be, to, that to respect a culture that basically have no policemen, no? Uh, so, so, but anytime I see something wrong and I have some respect, because I cannot call off everybody, but if I, if I have some respect for the person that is doing it, I will, I would send a note, you know, I will send a message that's like, hey, hello, this is not okay. Good. You know, Good. you know, you have to work hard there, you know, you have to find something else because I don't homework. think this you know, just uh, educate yourself. You gotta do your homework. Um it's it's important, right? You wanna be informed and it's also like you mentioned earlier today, we live in a world of technology that you know, you put a routine out there, it's out there. It's going to yeah. be for the rest of our lives, the next generation lives. So you have to have meaning behind what you're going to choreograph. So that way, if it's viewed a million more times, people are seeing it with integrity. Exactly. And, and that's 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 a very important uh, point, Mario, because uh, because if you are a performer, you know, you're not dancing for yourself. You're not dancing for your family, you know. That's are the intimate spaces that you can do whatever. But if you're going to produce something to perform in a public space, you don't know who's out there. Absolutely. You don't know who's out there. So I, I think I'm pretty nice, you know, and I'm really open to collaboration, to advice, whatever, you know, but there is people that it's not so nice. Do you want to deal with it? No. <laughs> not at all. Um... Let's see, um, we're, we're running out of time and I know you're a very busy woman. Uh, <laughs> so just said, is there anything that you would like to see in the world of dance? Is there any, do you like, do you like how it is now? Do you want to see some form of improvement in something or do you want to see something that did exist at one point come back and you yeah. know, uh, revitalize itself in the world of dance? <laughs> um, well, that's a that's that's a complicated question for me you know because i am a cuban person living in new york you know and i am a cuban um cultural better you know somehow uh in new york i several times for example i tried to learn salsa but i realized that i i appreciate all what i learned and to be honest when i pre-COVID times, in, if I want to go out and dance, instead to go to Cuban dancing, I will go to salsa on two. And why? Because I feel it's a more dynamic scene. You know, there is more people, you know, they are like codes, more open. You know, I felt always comfortable to ask a man that I don't know to come and dance with me. Yeah, it's definitely uh, more diverse. That, that's, uh, uh, that is so, you know, I felt like always that I could have a great time going to a dance without knowing anybody. You know, I can go and I'm going to dance, you know, I'm going to find people to, to have a good time, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is something that I appreciate about, about this, about the salsa scene and I'm still will go and probably always going to be a beginner 
I don't care. I go and I have a good time. But um, but something that concerns me as a Cuban, you know, and I say all that because I decide, I choose to stay being Cuban you know? <laughs> uh, through my dancing. To be, to, you know what? Something funny is that like learning, I, when I was more serious with the on two, I started messing up my Cuban dancing, no? And, and wow. then uh, I was off, you know, when I was dance, Cuban dance. And then for me, it was like, no, I am a Cuban dance teacher. I can't. Uh, that is awesome to hear. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it's like even, even counting in your mind, you know, but it's like the, you know, the groove is different, you know, it's a different groove. So I don't I don't know if people can maybe there are master people that can do both but I decide I cannot do both. Uh, I am going to learn good enough salsa but this is what I'm going to do. But one thing talking again about the things the amazing things that bring uh, these this called this tradition of dances, no? Uh, into into the salsa. More than movements more than movements, more than the chango gesture, you know, in a choreography, I would like people to understand the essence of this dance. Because these dances are, as I say before, are dances for communion. Are dances for communion. So in Cuban salsa, and when I'm talking about Cuban salsa, I am not talking necessarily about the people that dance Cuban style. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Cuban salsa in Cuba, no? Or people that really is fluent in the cultural aspect, in the cultural grammar, you know, that produce this dance. Now we have a, a, a scene that comes out of commercialization in that you go to places to dance in Cuba and you see people competing, right? But this is something new. This is something absolutely new. And then I don't care. I am old and I love to be old school and I'm going to be old school until I die about these things. About not about everything, but about these things, yes. Yeah. These dances were done for communion. So when I was learning dance, when I was going through all those places, you know, learning, we always dancers, they don't care about this the level of dancing you you have. You know, if I'm going to dance with Mario, that Mario dance with Yesenia. And if Yesenia doesn't understand the rhythm, well, you have to be a better leader, you know, to make me follow you and, you know, have the best possible time in the next five minutes. Right. You know, that's it. But it's not like you against me, right. you know, or me against you showing up, no? Uh, I understand that the nature of salsa uh, salsa on two is an industry and yes. an industry to survive everybody have to be a performer mm. that's, because, yeah, that's the conversation we're having because if we are not if you if you know how do you re keep surviving you know if you don't make your students performers right and I'm not saying you, you, I'm talking, I'm talking, this is the nature of the industry. I'm so happy. Everybody has to be a performer. So, 
but if the purpose of perform is performing, then it cannot be communion. Correct. You know, so. <laughs> and, and, oh yeah. and, and this is why the social, the social salsa scene has been commercialized in, in such a watered down way where everybody's being very competitive because yeah. they want to perform before even social dance for their partners. Exactly. Uh, and and it's it, you hit it on the nail. I mean, you hit it and explained it exactly. And I had this conversation yesterday with another scholar. Um, the the scene is becoming more and more watered down because it's perform first, then social dance second, which mm -hmm. is backwards. Yes, um, man, it's I'm happy you touched on that subject. Yeah, but it's it's harder to teach the joy. <laughs> it's it's harder to teach communion, you know. Right. But but I think uh, if if a more important purpose that I see about Cuban dancing, about Cuban dancing and about Cuban traditional into the salsa scene is to be that that reminder, you know, to remind us to connect. Yes, which we're losing. We're losing connectivity. Exactly. The you dancing to connect, you know, because if 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 we are not if we cannot do this purpose, then eventually there won't be dance anymore. You know, it's gonna be robotics to to be honest. It's like I stopped watching at salsa performances like about a year ago. Mm. Because even top performers look like robots, you know. They are doing so many things in the in the eight counting, you know. And then every eight eight bar, you know, eight it, it's like more crazy and more no sé qué. And it's like, <laughs> are we? Is this dance? I am not sure if this dance anymore. You yeah. know, this is it's like. Well, I know that you know. Circus Soleil. If the scene is the purpose, you know, you need to keep, you know, looking for wow factors, you know, things that impress the audience. Yes. Or and and the tendency here is to to add more, 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 more. Okay, cool. I don't like it. <laughs> I agree with you one hundred percent. I agree with you one hundred percent. It's not only in, in Cuba; it's happening here too. Everywhere. Everywhere. So let me ask you, if there's if there's anybody out there listening to Senya, where can they go to dance Afro-Cuban? Are there any underground spots they may not know about? Huh. Well, we are we are in a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. after the top mess. Uh, so now now it's a nothing time. Um, but um, I don't know. There has been a, a tradition for many decades in New York of the the Central Park Rumba that is a space that have a very, I don't know, he has, he has its own soul somehow. And certainly not in the winter, but uh, spring to fall, generally, you know, people go there to, to play room. But I think this is one of, of the most uh, permanent spaces in that you can go and appreciate, you know, uh, Cuban culture. There was um, a place in the sing bar uh, in the that is a, a jazz uh, club that used to do like like monthly rumbas, sometimes weekly rumbas over there, and and yeah, maybe uh, it could be confusing because we've been talking so much about orichas, and now I'm talking about rumba, 
But uh, yeah, rumba is, is part of the Afro-Cuban culture. Afro-Cuban culture is a different type of uh, African traditions. Exactly, and the rumba, uh, rumba is is actually an uh, a Cuban tradition. It's not African. It's like kind of the the place in that all the African tribes connect. No, it's a it's a secular. Uh, dance form and musical form uh, but you see constantly uh, all those other african elements coming into rumba so if, if it's a, a social place a secular space generally uh, in new york at least what you can see is rumba and then inside the rumba you will see orisha tradition you will see the the congolese tradition you, you will see abaqua the different uh, branches of, of afro-cuban uh, and certainly there is there is a company uh, uh, in New York. You were asking me first about about what I do, no? And, and I, I you know I always go everywhere, you know. And I don't I don't think I answer. Yeah, because, the question. yeah let them know about you work at NYU. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I I I start saying that yes, I am a teacher. I end up being a performer, but. Uh, I think the core of my work right now is more um, is more conceptual. The type of work that I'm, I am doing now, I am uh, for several years after I did this uh, piece with Teresita Fernandez in the public space. I kind of uh, fall in love with the with bringing origins into public public spaces. Nice. So I've been doing different pieces, uh, you know, like this is called site interventions now in that I go to certain places as an origin and I work with the community, with the elements that surround the space, you know, like kind of bringing in the energy or creating a conversation. Sometimes that has to do with the specific community of with a specific space or with uh, political issues, you know, that are happening. Um, that I don't know, people in the country, you know, is experimenting on that time. I have a very uh, fantastic uh, invitation to perform in um, Maldives at the end of the year. Oh, congrats. Uh, in that I did uh, a site a specific performance that I call Indigo, that in that I did Jemaya, because in the Maldives, this is Jemaya. Well, no, everything is blue. You have 360 degrees of horizon, you know, uh, blue. And, and, and I did a performance uh, uh, with a group of, of Cuban artists uh, over there. And it was really magical because they were totally shocked for what I did. And in the moment of singing, the, the voices couldn't come out to sing, you know, so it was. <laughs> Oh, no. Everybody was like, oh, my God, what is she doing? And I end up uh, the performance jumping into the water. No, no. Yes. <laughs> that are things that I sometimes I don't I don't I, I don't have in mind. I did not have in mind to do that. But it's just felt, you know, like the right thing to do and the right, right thing to the performance. So I'm, I'm improvising nice. uh, in the space and interacting with people. So this is, yeah, I do performance. Sometimes it's more theater, sometimes it's more dance, sometimes it's more song music. Uh, 
I did uh, a, a really lovely performance for me uh, March 21st in the middle of the pandemic right here in Boulevard East that I call Encoronación and that I did basically like a mass and walk like 12 blocks, you know, dressed in white and spreading flowers and blessing the people around me. And, you know, it was just like to bring purity. I did not have a very clear sense, but in Coronacion, the song, it was, I have like a choir of people singing with me oh, in nice. social distance with the Nasabucos, with the, the mask and everything. But yeah. they were singing and dancing with me for Boulevardis. Uh, and then and we were singing a song in that we were, we say goodbye to the spirits, you know, that leave the earth. And who knew in that moment that this pandemic would be 10 months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So many people were gonna lose their lives, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, because this was March 21st. I think this was one week after the, lock, the, yeah. the lockdown start. Yeah. Uh, so it's a kind of, I don't know, it's a kind of, medium performance with the energy of the origins is something kind of mystical the things i do uh but i want to recommend there is an amazing company that do uh traditional work in in new york that is a uro directed by uh danis perez prades la mora uh, and every time they perform i try to go because their work is amazing and they do exclusively traditional uh, Cuban dancers, so I highly recommend it to everybody to follow. Oh, awesome, awesome. Do they have a Facebook or a website? They have a website, uh, Oyu Oro. Uh, it's kind of a hard to, but it's O Y U O R O, something like that. Uh, <laughs> and how can uh, how can all of our listeners find Jesenia? I mean, what? How can they connect with you? Okay, I have a very uh, humble uh, website, Yesenia uh, Celier, uh, that is my artistic name, uh, .net. Uh, you can find me there, you can send me a message. You know, I am also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I am also in Twitter, you know, I have almost social media there, but I do have this website that I have basic information about my work. Uh, hopefully, you know, it will come, will come, you know, more populated in the future. But yeah, that you can find me there. Uh, and it will be, it will be amazing, you know, to, to keep this conversation going with you and the audience. Yes, absolutely. And also for our final question, not our final conversation ever, but the final <laughs> for our, our interview today. Um, as it's, as this is being archived for you know many many generations to come um, because it's very informative very educational um, how do you want to be remembered and what legacy do you want to leave behind <laughs> how do I want to be remembered I I think the last time I have that uh, that thought was when my my kids were born, and um, I I decide and thought in that moment that I wanted to leave an intellectual legacy. Um, 
I think this is still my aim, but to be honest, coming to the to the United States and you know the challenges of language immigration, you know, kind of I slow down uh, my my production. But there has been some work already published um, in, in English that can be found online as well. Uh, and hopefully, when I finish my dissertation, that will be like became a book in the future. And, and as we discussed uh, about a month ago, there is, there is a lack of, of information and literature. So hopefully I could also, I wish to very much to have a, a project, a book about, about, about Cuban and Afro-Cuban dance uh, in the future. It's been in, in, on my mind. I have been presenting and talking uh you know lecturing you know about Cuban dance for so many years now that is is something that is easing me it's already alive i just need the time to put it on the paper but yeah i think uh the intellectual legacy is the one i want to leave uh as i to live behind i i think there are plenty of people teaching dance but there is a different effort to write to explain the dance to put it in a way that can be preserved for future generations, like like this, this podcast that we're doing right now. Absolutely, no, thank you. Uh, and also thank you, because when we spoke about a month ago, I was doing my, I don't know, 12-page paper about <laughs> the uh, Yoruba tribe. And uh, the reason why we had this conversation is because with all the research I was doing, there wasn't much information about you know the Yoruba tribe. And, and I know there's so much rich history about the Yoruba, but on paper, uh, there isn't much, so mm -hmm. I'm really uh, excited and hopeful that you know when your book does come out, it'll it'll help a lot of people and it'll bridge a lot of gaps and um, it'll just help people understand a little bit more uh, about the history and the culture of, of Afro-Cuban music, rhythms, and dance. I think so. Let's see when it's on the paper. <laughs> I'm waiting, and we we got time. We, we're in the middle of COVID, so we got time. We got time. Oh yeah, Jasenia. I love you with all my heart. Uh, thank you for everything you've done uh, to the dance community. Thank you for all your help and uh, thank you for your wisdom and all of your knowledge. Um, we need influencers like you to continue to educate dancers like myself so we can continue inspiring others for generations to come. We love you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, my, my love. Brother. <laughs> my brother, my brother in arms and dance. <laughs> <laughs> all right my beautiful people thank you so much for listening to today's episode with our phenomenal guest artist and scholar jesenia celial special thanks to our founder and executive producer emily mia mathura and our technical producer ruben valeriano once again i am your host mario b and thank you so much for listening and tuning in to Roots, Rhythm, and Soul.